It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, July 10th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, today is the last day folks can register to vote in the upcoming primary election. Then the FDA has approved a new treatment for Alzheimer's. Plus, the Supreme Court has chosen not to hear an appeal about Mississippi's felony voting laws. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you want to participate in Mississippi's primary election this year and you're not registered, today's the last day to do so. Our Lacey Alexander speaks with Secretary of State Michael Watson about why the deadline exists and other things voters should know ahead of this year's elections. I like to make sure that people understand there's never a deadline to register to vote. There is a deadline, however, if you want to register to vote and participate in a certain election. So you can always register, but to vote in this coming primary, you need to register to vote by July 10th. And it's a really easy process. There's a couple of ways you can do it. Number one, you can download the form off the Internet. You can go to yallvote.ms, find that information there at the webpage uh, on our homepage, and, and then yallvote.ms. Or you can go to your circuit clerk's office, and they will be happy to walk you through the process. You can also go to your municipal clerk. Uh, you can go to DHS, you can go to Medicaid. There are several other companies that would help you register to vote. So really easy process here in Mississippi. But again, I want to make sure that people understand July 10th is the deadline to register to vote if you want to vote in this primary coming up. You said something about, you know, you want people to know this. Talk to me about some other misconceptions that you want to do away with before the primary process starts. Well, a few things. Number one, I want people to make sure they're getting trusted information uh, you can see things on Facebook or Twitter or sometimes even the news that maybe hadn't been completely vetted. Uh, so I just encourage folks to reach out to their circuit clerks, uh, to their elections commissioners, to our office to make sure they're getting the proper information that you can trust uh, to make sure that you're prepared for the elections. Again, uh, making sure that people understand it's very easy to register to vote in Mississippi. Uh, you can go to our website again, as I mentioned earlier, yallvote.ms to download the form. Uh, you're going to have to turn that into the circuit clerk's office. If you do that, by the way, you can mail that form in as long as it's post-dated by July 10th, uh, or you can go in person uh, to make sure you're registered to vote by July 10th. So uh, a lot of easy ways to do it. I just want to make sure that Mississippians understand it is not hard to register to vote in Mississippi. I don't participate in the process, and I think as people learn that, it gets them, you know, puts them at ease to make sure that they understand, hey, I can participate and that my voice can be heard. 
I myself am from Alabama. This is my first year in the great state of Mississippi. For other out-of-towners like me, what's maybe unique about Mississippi's registration system that people need to know? Obviously, federal law is involved as well, so you don't see many differences. You do have some states that have online voter registration. Uh, Mississippi is not one of those. However, I do like to remind people, again, if you download that form from our website and mail it in, it's almost like online registration, but it's not quite there. Uh, you may see that discussion happening later on in a legislative session. But, uh, again, those relationships building with your circuit clerks and your commissioners, uh, your municipal clerk, and our office, uh, a lot of times people kind of tend to, to think well, it's kind of hard to get involved. But it's really not. And if you spend time building those relationships and making sure you're calling, getting that trusted information, that's what we want to drive home to Mississippians. I'd make sure to talk to the right folks. And uh, when you have that information, knowledge is power. And when people feel like they can participate, uh, by the way, welcome home. We're glad to have you here in Mississippi. You know, there is one question that people ask uh, sometimes about uh, 18, being 18 by the November election. If you're going to be uh, 18 by the general, obviously you can register to vote. And you can vote in the primary even if you haven't turned 18 yet. So as long as you're going to be 18 by the general election in November, uh, you can go ahead and register to vote now and participate in the primary. I just want to make sure that people understand that's an option as well. Uh, But again, at the end of the day, make sure you're calling your circuit clerks and uh, our office to get trusted information when you have those questions. And we've got everything there at our website, yallvote.ms. So if you have other questions, please feel free to look at our website and make sure you're getting that, that correct and trusted information. Secretary of State Michael Watson, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Have a great day. In addition to those state and county resources, there are several voter engagement organizations that can help. Ruth Odell is co-president with the League of Women Voters in Mississippi. She's reminding folks that some local elections only have competition during the primary, and the winners will run unopposed in the November general election. I think it's important for every person to exercise, exercise their right to vote. They need to model it for their children, uh, model it for their neighbors, just get in the habit of going down there and voting. Uh, somebody's on the on the uh, ballot. Uh, if that means you vote in a primary of some party you don't really subscribe to, so be it. Pick the one that uh, you think would be best qualified and vote for them. It's a right, and that's what I say to high school students. Uh, you know, a lot of people have fought hard for you to have this right. So to just leave it on the table... Uh, makes no sense to me. It's turning your back on your heritage as an American. What are some conversations you've had with the public about registration that you feel is important to emphasize? Well, first of all, you do have to have a photo ID. Now, there's a a number of things you can bring, a driver's license, a government-issued photo, you know, a United States passport, there's a whole list of things, even a firearms license, okay? But, and if you do not have one of those, you can go to the Secretary of State site and you can find out how to get a photo ID. Or you can go down to the circuit clerk of your county and they will help you arrange for a photo ID and tell you everything you need in order to get that. You know, it's just another hurdle. And we're not in favor of so many hurdles, but it's there in the law. And so you're going to have to find a way to get one in order to register to vote. 
Absolutely. That's a really good segue into something else I wanted to ask you, Ruth. We interviewed Secretary of State Michael Watson earlier today, and he said he believed it's very easy to register to vote in Mississippi. Do you agree with that sentiment, and why or why not? Well, let's talk about a couple of things on why I don't feel like it's easy as he may feel it is, and I'll do respect to him. One is they just passed a law, for instance, in the state legislature about purging the voting, giving Secretary Watson the power to run voter purges. So let's just say you've chosen not to vote in one of the last two presidential elections. Well, you're supposed to get a card in the mail at at your last time you vote. You know, you registered to vote, whatever your address was. You'll get a card, you know, alerting you to that fact and that you better go down and update your voter registration, turn that card back in, that kind of thing, in order for you to keep on the rolls. So you may just, for some reason, not have been able to vote in one of the last four presidential elections. You're going to get one of those cards, and it's going to be important for you to send it back in. Uh, You want to check and be sure that you are registered to vote. You can do that at that yallvote.ms. Go on there, put in your information, it guides you through it, and it can tell you your registration and what your precinct is. Ruth O'Dell is with the Mississippi's League of Women Voters. Coming up, the FDA has approved a new drug that can treat Alzheimer's. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are the cool kids wearing nowadays? A bucket hat and fanny pack. I meant to say a belt bag. That's the 21st century name for it. You can get this MPB branded swag package by making a one-time $60 contribution. You'll also receive a year of PBS Passport to stream new and classic shows. A mix of current and classic. That's Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Make a contribution today at mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio, whatever your taste, news, music, storytelling, or how-to shows. Whatever your city, Gulfport, Fernando, Meridian, Greenville. However you want, radio, smart speaker, smartphone app. MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Federal Food and Drug Administration has granted full approval of a new drug that can treat Alzheimer's. It's called Lequimbi. It's the second approval of a treatment that targets the root cause of the disease. Mississippi has one of the highest rates of that disease in the nation and the highest fatality rate. Our Will Stribling speaks with Dr. Wei-Bin Wong. He's a professor in the Department of Neurology at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. He's been involved with Alzheimer's research since 2007. We have so many uh, failure of medication similar to this one. And now we see that, you know, we are making, you know, very good progress. We are able to uh, test the you know, with the medication shows not just the biomarker and also clinical benefit and to slow down the progression of Alzheimer's disease. So for myself, it's uh, many people's hard work come to a very effective treatment. And even though it's still a baby step, I think it means for the scientific community, 
moving forward, you know, fine tune and uh, you know try to design and then test for more powerful medication with the similar mechanism. And for the patient and family, and this is a medication that has never existed. You know, the medication we used to treat Alzheimer's disease in the past is always just to try to relieve the symptoms but not slow down the disease process. So I think this is a huge news for patients and family with Alzheimer's disease and that, you know, we now have something actually can um, slow down um, the disease progression. You mentioned that you know, you've been involved in this field since 2007, and there have been a lot of similar drugs that have failed. So with this one getting approved, do you think that that is going to mean more research opportunities and funding? Like, is it going to be a boon for this field as, as a whole? Certainly. For many years, um, there's a lot of doubt, and you know, people feel that you know, this hypothesis, this mechanism may not work at all. But, you know, with the kit approval by FDA shows the scientific evidence of efficacy and uh, relatively safe profile. And I think it's going to be a big boost for the field. You know, more researchers, more industries can look into this field, you know, to from here just to try to uh, looking for more uh, well-designed studying, maybe move towards more earlier stage of the disease course to intervene, and uh, hopefully we have uh, a lot more to come. You know, better medication and you know less side effects. Yeah, uh, clinical trials showed the positive effects of the drug were not enough to be noticeable or meaningful for patients and their families, uh, but and it will also carry a black box label. Because uh, of the the brain swelling and bleeding risk, what do you think? What does the risk benefit analysis look like when trying to decide whether to prescribe this this new medication to a patient suffering from Alzheimer's? Thank you. And um, great question. I I think in, first of all, Anna, if we look into the FDA approval, it, it says approval for Alzheimer's disease, um, but actually, you know, based on the best data, the clinical trials, it's um, you know, the medication um, seems like the scientific evidence shows that it's working for very mild stage Alzheimer's disease. And there's a stage of Alzheimer's disease we call MCI, mild cognitive impairment, mm-hmm. or earlier stage Alzheimer's disease. Usually those are the patients, they have memory loss, and they have certainly um, the disease process going on, but they are still very independent. And, but you know, started to lose some of the function. So it's clear cut that you know, the approval is not for every Alzheimer's disease patient. It's certainly not for every patient, every people, a person with the memory loss. So the first step is get an evaluation by a neurologist or you know, someone who has expertise in dementia evaluation. And then, you know, come down to the benefit of the medication. And in the FDA, FDA approval, there is a number there. You, you know, anyone read the and, you know, news releases that there is a 27% slowing down of the decline of the patient who receive the Nicanemab medication compared to the placebo. So that's a number based on, a, you know, score we used to test those kind of medication. But... What does that mean to the general population? I think there is, uh, you know, in the news release I see today, there's an expert said, you know, that's, that can be translated to about 5.3 months of, you know, slowing of the decline 
in that 18-month period time of the trial. So it's still significant. So uh, think about someone has, you know, five more months of good times uh, spending with time to enjoy the activity they're doing. It's, uh, it means a lot for the patient and, and family. And so talking about the side effects profile, that's the major concern about, uh, of the scientific community. There's a side effect uh, of similar medication, including lecanemab, called ARIA. Basically, it um, shows up on the MRI of patient's brain that um, there's either swelling of the brain in some focal area of the brain, or there's uh, thoughts of bleeding of the brain when patients receive this kind of treatment, not just for nicotinamide, but all, all the you know, medications similar, with similar mechanism. So that means this is not you know, something everyone is going to get and, and save, and it's, a, it's not a pill. And, and so there is always, you know, protocol to monitor those side effects. So I think we, you know, as a neurologist and dementia experts, we have been looking into this, how to monitor those uh, side effects from patients receiving the treatment. You know, there's, uh, for now, there's MRIs, and, you know, every couple of months, and to try to watch those swelling of the brain, bleeding of the brain, but, you know, if patients receive those medications, they show symptoms. Certainly, the doctor is going to have to order some, you know, more brain scan to catch those side effects. I think, you know, towards the end, this, uh, you know, stage, I think we, we can say that there's certainly benefit of the medication. There's also risk carried on and with the medication. It's uh, oftentimes it's a discussion between the doctor and the patient family, you know, to look into the potential benefit, but also... Uh, keep in mind there is risk and, and, you know, receiving those treatment as well. I think that already Medicare is going to cover 80% of it. And, and then if they cover it, do you believe that, you know, not too long after that, that, that private health insurers will follow? I think that's certainly, you know, possible. And then that's usually the, you know, the first step is for the government insurance to look into. And if there is enough, um, you know, benefit for the Medicare to cover that. And then the other private insurance may, you know, follow that route, you know. And do you, like, expect a number of your patients to, to you know, um, be evaluated for, for this in the coming months? I, I think certainly that's uh, we will see more on patient and family with memory loss, with forgetfulness to come out to check in with their doctors, asking about the medication, asking about potential treatment and with this type of medication. But I think you still go back to my uh, comment early on. So it, this means that medical field and the community will have to look into protocol to be ready for more earlier stage uh, evaluation for patients and, you know, have memory complaint, have forgetfulness to determine they do have or they do not have Alzheimer's disease and, or an early stage Alzheimer's disease. And then are they eligible for an, a treatment like this? I think there's already you know, some recommendation from experts in the field, you know, prepare for, a, you know, regular doctor's office, neurologists in the community to start to use this type of medications. Dr. Wei-Bin Wong is a professor of neurology at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Ahead, the Supreme Court won't hear arguments against a state law that strips convicted felons of their voting rights. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
What are the cool kids wearing nowadays? A bucket hat and fanny pack. I meant to say a belt bag. That's the 21st century name for it. You can get this MPB branded swag package by making a one-time $60 contribution. You'll also receive a year of PBS Passport to stream new and classic shows. A mix of current and classic. That's Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Make a contribution today at mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of The Original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi has the highest incarceration rate in the nation. Many people have felony convictions that revokes their right to vote. There has been growing support across party lines to make reentry to society easier and to engage in civic affairs. But the Supreme Court decided not to hear an appeal in a case seeking to restore voting rights. Our Mike McEwen speaks with Joshua Tom. He's an attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union, and he says the ACLU may not have been involved in this specific case, but thinks the decision doesn't bode well for incarcerated Mississippians. Well, you know, one of the most fundamental, important rights in the United States is the right to vote. You know, that's how you get people into office. That's and the people in office are the ones who create the laws. You know, voting is not just for, for you know the president. It's for the school board. It's for the mayor. It's for your state representative. It's for any number uh, of positions. And taking away that, or taking away the right to vote, is taking away one of the most fundamental rights uh, in Mississippi in the in the United States in a democracy. Uh, Mississippi is one of the few states that has permanent bans for people uh, convicted of felonies, and so. You know, the first thing to point out is that this felon, permanent felon disenfranchisement ban in Mississippi is an outlier, uh, number one. Uh, and number two, you know, like similarly in you know, other parts of the country, and particularly in Mississippi, people convicted of felonies are disproportionately – that type of ban falls disproportionately uh, on black people. And so, you know, you, you not only have taking away uh, a fundamental right, but you have it fall disproportionately – uh, on black people in Mississippi, which adds, you know, further um, insult to this this injustice. And to my understanding, this law, it dates back to the Jim Crow era. Is that true? That's my understanding. Yes. What is what does that say that a law from that era, something that I think generally and broadly is thought of as to be in our nation's past? What does it say that something like that is not only still in effect and still on the books today, but is also something? that when brought to the Supreme Court has decided not to be ruled upon, ultimately? Well, I mean, you know, the fact that you still have Jim Crow era laws um, in effect uh, and or impacting uh, Mississippi today, I think speaks, speaks volumes about, you know, the state of Mississippi's laws and here the state of Mississippi's laws on voting. I know that I know that you do work for the ACLU of Mississippi. I'm from Florida personally. In 2018, we had a pretty big election year, and one of the major ballot initiatives was to remove our state's uh, felon disenfranchisement law. Are you aware of 
you know, is there a trend nationally to try and remove these? I know you said that Mississippi is an outlier nationally, but is there a larger movement going on to remove these laws? You know, after what y'all did in Florida or what Florida did, you know, which was obviously successful, um, I do know that, you know, other states with similar bans um, saw an opportunity. Okay. And, and just in the context of the Supreme Court, they didn't choose to take this up this year. Is this something they could take up in their next session, or is it just kind of off the books at this point for them? Uh, for the U.S. Supreme Court, um, unless there's another procedure uh, to get this particular case before them, they're not going to see it again. There, there would have to be a, a, another appeal to the Supreme Court. You know, the, the current appeal that they turned down is, you know, at least for purposes of the Supreme Court, is uh, done for them. Joshua Tom is an attorney with the ACLU of Mississippi. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi programming. I'm Desiree Frazier. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition.